Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Huzefa. And today we are continuing the big emphasis we've had of late on career spotlights. Because again, I really want to get kids out there and even parents out there. I want to give you guys a real understanding of just how critical and foundational math is to so many careers, so many amazing careers and productive careers and really sought after careers. And today we're shifting the focus away from technology. And I know we focused on video games. We had another guy from Qualcomm on yesterday. Now we're going to be talking about law. And this is actually the guy we're interviewing next. He's a buddy of mine from law school. And in particular, he's a he's a corporate attorney, and we're going to talk exactly with him about precisely what he does, but he's going to share how what he does involves math on a fairly regular basis and, and why it's important to what he does. And his name is Michael Saliba, so he was my classmate in Northwestern. So without further ado, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining. And I know right now you're in New York. You've got a very busy schedule as always, so... Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to do this quick chat. Sure. So before we get into the nitty gritty of what your job entails, why don't you just give us a little bit of background to tell us where did you start your education, what did you study, all that. Sure. So I uh, did my undergraduate studies at the University of Virginia. And like you, I believe, uh, I studied engineering uh, for my undergraduate uh, degree. And so that involved uh, a lot of math. I was very inclined. I, I preferred math to some of the more liberal arts topics in high school. So it was a natural progression. Uh, I focused m- mainly on systems engineering and computer programming. So it wasn't exactly applied mathematics, but uh, as you can imagine, there was a lot of mathematics underpinning uh, everything that uh, we did and, and, and we studied. So I did four years at uh, University of Virginia. I always uh, thought that I may end up in law school, but after graduating, I got an offer to work at Deloitte Consulting uh, as an IT consultant uh, after I graduated from UVA. And I decided to accept that job offer and spend a couple of years in the consulting world with the understanding that I could uh, apply and go to law school in a couple of years, if that made sense. So I, I went to Deloitte for two years. Uh, I was in their consulting division. I was recruited to be in their IT consulting division, which was really focused on uh, software uh, consulting, some of the big uh, enterprise-wide software systems that companies use. Uh, and as it turned out, I ended up doing a little bit more of a mix of business and uh, IT consulting while I was there. So. Uh, after- yeah, so, so just to jump in real quick, so for people who are listening, because this is actually two great topics, can you explain to everybody what does IT consulting entail and then what is the more standard, uh, I guess, the management consulting side that you did after? What are those two careers? What are, what are you doing there? Yeah, sure. The management consulting, I think of that more as uh, strategy and operations. So 
if you know, it it varies wildly depending on which industry you're consulting for. But uh, at the end of the day, business uh, consulting is really advising companies on how to grow their business, uh, essentially how to uh, have them you know, make more money. And there are a lot of different aspects to it. Uh, but people who are in management consulting generally uh, are focused kind of on the bigger picture items and how to drive revenue or, or cut costs, things of that nature. In IT consulting, it's it's a bit more technical. Uh, again, there's a lot of variety depending on what kind of firm you work for and where your clients are. But at Deloitte in IT consulting, uh, it was really to help companies, IT departments, install software that would help them become more efficiently run companies. And there are big companies that people have heard of and, and perhaps that people haven't heard of um, that uh, underpin all of what companies do uh, with respect to their software systems. So when you work for a company and you're getting paid, for example, every two weeks and your payroll is going directly into your bank account, all of that's done on the back end by certain software. And so IT consultants will help companies who are not really IT companies uh, essentially install all of these IT systems and manage them moving forward. And then it helps them focus on their core business. I see. And when you were, when you were working on this side, just out of curiosity, what was their math involved in certain respects? Of course, when we're talking about software development, there are aspects, even if they're more abstract of math that is involved, but what about in this type of a role? Yeah, in this type of role, as, as you pointed out exactly, it's not exactly mathematics as you would uh, think about it or as, you, as I remember it in school uh, with formulas and whatnot. But uh, it's more like computer programming, and, and people who have any familiarity with computer programming know that mathematics really underlies that. And so you definitely have to uh, be comfortable with, with the concepts uh, of mathematics. And programming uh, is very logical in many ways. And so uh, mathematics being a very logical uh, type of endeavor, that is something that you see uh, throughout your your career as a computer or software developer. So as an IT consultant, uh, again, there wasn't many you know formulas as you would remember them in school, but there was a lot of or a fair amount of programming. Uh, and that I think is very closely tied to math and the skill sets that allow you to excel in math will also allow you to excel in, in programming. All right. Very cool. So so you were a consultant for some time. Then you finally decided to go back to law school. And then tell us your path after that point. Yeah. So I was one of, uh, I don't know, I'm not, uh, th- there were f- a fair amount, I think, of engineers that uh, went to law school. And I think it's something that people don't really expect. They think of lawyers as being uh, people who have really studied the liberal arts uh, rather than engineering. But many people that I knew that were engineers and went to law school ended up being IP attorneys because that's a very logical path and there was a lot and there is a lot of demand for engineers in that field. I wasn't really interested in IP law. Uh, I was more interested in general corporate law. And once I graduated from Northwestern, uh, I joined one of the big law firms in New York and I worked in their corporate department. Now, there are a lot of engineers, as I said, that work in IP law, and they there are firms that really specialize in that area of law. Corporate law is a lot broader, and uh, 
I can speak a little bit more about corporate law if you'd like. Yeah. So tell us, so, so what is, yeah. So basically what, it, what are the things that you normally are working on in corporate law? Well, the things that I focus on in corporate law, and the, they're two really big categories that a lot of lawyers work on, but uh, I work mainly on transactions, big, big transactions between companies in two specific departments. One is uh, you'll, ref- you'll hear it referred to as M&A, which is mergers and acquisition. And the other one is securities or capital markets. I'll start with mergers and acquisitions. To boil it down for people, it's essentially when one company wants to buy another company. So there are examples that you may or may not have heard of, but AOL buying Time Warner was one example of a big M&A deal. And so that's really uh, all it is. And so one of the things that I do is work on transactions of that nature. And the other thing that I do in the capital markets is imagine if one company needs to borrow money to run their business. Well, we as lawyers will help them do the paperwork so that they can either uh, borrow money from a bank or they can issue bonds to investors and borrow money in that way. I see. Has, is there any big deals or interesting deals that you can talk about publicly that you were a part of or you have to keep all that uh, sort of private? Unfortunately, the the deals that I'm working on haven't been uh, uh, pu- publicized yet, so I can't speak about that. But I can tell you a little bit about uh, the the type of work and some of the the big deals that I've done, uh, or that sorry, not that I've done that that have been done in the market. One example that your listeners may be familiar with is Facebook. I mean, Facebook is one of the biggest companies now in the world, and probably everybody has heard of Facebook. But up until a few years ago, Facebook was a private company, and so if you wanted to invest and buy some stock of Facebook, you couldn't do it. It was a private company. A couple of years ago, they had their IPO, uh, meaning their uh, initial public offering, and became a public company. And now anybody who wants can buy stock of Facebook and be a part owner of Facebook. Now, there are a lot of other companies that are very well-known companies that have gone public in, in recent years. Shake Shack is, an, is another company that comes to mind, at least in New York. It's a big burger chain that's very popular that recently went public. And there are companies that are still private, like Uber uh, and Lyft, that may that may go public uh, in the near future. So those are some of the examples on uh, the IPO security side. On the M&A side, one example of, uh, well, a couple of examples of uh, M&A deals that your listeners may be interested in if they're sports fans uh, is the uh, purchase and sale of many NBA teams recently. You may know that Mark Cuban in the early 2000s, I think, bought the Dallas Mavericks after he sold his internet company for a billion dollars. And more recently, there have been, uh, you know, there's Michael Jordan who bought the the Charlotte NBA team. And there have been uh, recent purchases of the Golden State Warriors and the Atlanta Hawks and the LA Clippers. All of those are essentially the purchase and sale of a business, which is the NBA franchise. Very cool. So if, if anybody's listening out there and they're thinking maybe this might be something that they'd want to pursue at some point in their life, what would you say from, I'd say a more micro level, what are the types of things that you would say, hey, if you like this or you like doing that or this is in your interest, it, one of your interests, the type of law that I'm doing would be a good fit for you? 
Well, there are many careers, obviously, for people who are interested in math and, and many great careers. If you are interested in math but also interested in law and in business, uh, corporate law is a great career to choose because in the transactions that I've described, lawyers don't work in a vacuum. They actually work on what we call a deal team. And on that deal team, you have the lawyers, you have the companies, uh, you have the bankers, and you have the accountants. And each uh, person or each team on the deal team focuses on a slightly different part of the transaction, but with a common goal in mind. So in the context of a, a M&A deal, the purchase or sale of a company, the lawyers will be working on the legal contracts that govern that purchase and sale. And the bankers, for example, may be uh, working on the valuation of the company or trying to figure out what a company is worth. So the bankers probably have more exposure to the math or the financial models that underpin these M&A deals. But as a corporate lawyer, certainly exposed to that analysis and understanding the analysis really helps you do your job better. So an example on the M&A side, like I said, if we are representing a buyer who wants to buy another company, uh, as lawyers, it's helpful to understand what the bankers are telling the company the target is worth. And so we will see very often presentations that the bankers put together or Excel models that the bankers put together that sh they share with the company. And to understand how they attribute a value, which is very much math-focused, uh, is very helpful in helping the lawyers do their job when they're negotiating the legal agreement with the lawyers on the other side. See, it's kind of like when I spoke with Samir Kumar recently about his type of work. He's not necessarily per se working as an engineer, but as a product manager, the know-how, the understanding, the expertise has to be there from a general standpoint so you can understand what's going on. It sounds like much of the same with you. While you guys, you guys, your team is not, the attorneys are not the bankers, but you have to understand what's going on as far as the financial models in order to be able to draft an appropriate contract or look at the deal in the right way. Is that right? That's exactly right. And more and more clients that hire lawyers in the corporate field, they are hiring lawyers not only for their legal advice, but also sometimes for their business advice. So a lawyer has to at least be conversant in the business terms and very often uh, having a good, uh, solid comfort with, with math. Uh, will help an attorney with respect to that. So what, and that's a, that's a really great example. What other things, what other ways do you sometimes use math in, in your job, at your work? Well, I mentioned that I work in the M&A department, but I also do capital markets work, which is helping companies uh, borrow or raise money to fund their operations or to make acquisitions, for example. And the way that companies do that is much like an individual borrows money for, from a bank to buy a home, for example. But in the, in the corporate context, the, uh, the corporation or the business has to give information to investors to allow the investors to determine whether or not they want to lend money to that business. And so the lawyers draw up the paperwork that essentially explains to investors everything there is to know about the company. And one of the biggest elements, if not the biggest element, of that disclosure is the financials of the company. For an investor to decide whether they want to lend money to a company, they're very interested to know 
if the company is making money, how much revenue they have, et cetera, et cetera. So as lawyers, we don't prepare those financial statements, but we're responsible for making sure that everything that is sent to an investor is accurate. And so when we receive these financials or these tables that have a lot of math underlying, underpinning them, uh, very often we will actually go through and check the math. We will do the additions, the subtractions, the multiplications, and make sure that what's presented in a table actually uh, is correct. So that's another area where we will use our uh, skills in math when you wouldn't really think uh, a lawyer needs to know any math. And so when you're interviewing candidates for coming on board to join your team, I mean, is this something is this something that you look at explicitly on a transcript or is this more so, I mean, how, how do you assess and make sure that somebody who you're bringing onto the team is going to have the requisite level of math fluency? Well, it's a little bit more of a, of a soft kind of question. I, what is very helpful in the legal field is someone who thinks through things in a very logical manner. One of the things that I think make engineers very good lawyers is that they've had a training in thinking about things in a logical way. So uh, being a lawyer, while it's also helpful to sometimes think outside of the box, uh, it's, it's good to think logically. And so when I interview candidates and I see that they have a background in math or in engineering, uh, I think that that reflects positively on their candidacy because uh, I think that they will be able to have the requisite minimum level of knowledge when it comes to math, but that also they've been trained in a certain way of thinking that is uh, very helpful. Okay, excellent. Now, and real quick, just to jump back to the consulting world, when you were being interviewed for the consulting world, for the for your consulting position, was there any emphasis on math? Because I know that that is the case sometimes, especially with management consulting roles during the interview process. Yes, there is. I'm not sure if it's strictly math, but it's it's uh, in the management consulting field. Very often, uh, I believe they still do this. They will ask questions uh, to understand what your thought process is, even if you don't know the answer to their question. They want to understand how you would think through it, and they allow you to make certain assumptions as you're answering the question. So, one uh, question that I received from uh, an interviewer when I was interviewing was if you had to stack a penny from the bottom of the World Trade Center all the way to the top of the World Trade Center, how many pennies would that would it require? And so obviously, I don't know the actual answer to that, and I didn't in the interview. But in answering the question, I think what they were looking for is to explain to you how to explain to them how you would go about answering that question. And I started by saying, well, I would assume that the World Trade Center is, I don't know, call it 50 floors, 50 floors high. So I'm going to start floor by floor, see how many pennies it would require for each floor. Then I would say, well, maybe the first 20 floors are going to be larger in area than the top floors. And so I'll say, okay, well, maybe the first 10 floors are going to be a certain, certain, uh, have a certain area. And then, you know, going through that process, I could say, well, I think it's going to take this many for these floors and you add it all up and then you have an answer. And you could be completely wrong, but what they're looking for uh, is uh, 
understanding how your thought process is. Another example that I was either asked or I just remember from then, back then was how many Starbucks are there in the U.S.? Now, you may not know the answer, or you may if you had Google, what didn't exist at the, at the time on our mobile phones. But you, know, you could think about it in a similar way. You could break it down by how many large metropolitan cities there are in the U.S., and then break it down by block, by density, by population. And, and then people can come up with very different answers, but their thought process uh, if it's good, that's really what they're looking for. But see, all those questions, they all entail good mental math because as you're doing the estimation, as you're doing the uh, – even as you're making your assumptions, you then have to make calculations. So for example, I imagine you had to estimate a particular uh, width of – not a width, sorry, a height of a penny. And then you had to multi – I'm sure you did that somewhere along the ways, right, for the – for yes, calculating. Yeah, that's so exactly right. You, so you had to do that, and then you'd have to multiply it out based on the floors, based on your measurement of each floor, so on and so forth. So all that stuff, units, conversions. And by the way, that's a lot of stuff that is currently being covered in – it's at least being introduced and begun to be covered in the fourth grade class that I teach. So a lot of these things that, of course, that you learn later on, but even very early on in your education are going to be pulled out and used routinely in whether it's a – whether it's a interview question or actually on the job. So it's really good to know, really cool stuff. So Michael, this was this was awesome for me and I hope for anybody out there who's thinking about being a corporate attorney, maybe thinking about going into consulting, you found a lot of value, you found this interview very fascinating and we'll think about this going forward in your math education. If you want to check out the show notes, as always, go to www.scalarlearning.com. If you have any questions or comments for me, please email me at huzefa at scalarlearning.com. Again, if you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, please do so. We're going to have episodes dropping every day this summer. Somebody new or me talking about education. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. So I highly recommend you please do subscribe. Thank you, as always, for joining us. I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy. Learning, give me that skill of learning. Skill of learning, give me that skill of learning.